Welcome to The Connection. A podcast to connect you to the parish of Yates and Froomside Benefice. My name is Howell. And I'm Justin. We are your hosts sharing with you the connection between faith and everyday living. So on this episode of The Connection, we have another interview from On the Sofa at Magnify. Julia from Froomside, why do you interview people on the sofa at Magnify? Well, everyone that knows me knows I like chatting informally with a cup of tea. And so On the Sofa has really taken off and it's become quite popular at Magnify because all we're doing is chatting to somebody on the sofa very informally about their life. And about their faith as well. About their faith, importantly, yes. So who else, who have you had on Magnify over the last year or so then? We've had the PCC officer from uh, Froomside. We've had lots of lay people. Uh, We've had ordained people, not giving any names. And uh, people that are involved with children's work. Um, Oh no, all sorts of different people. So it's about interviewing ordinary Christian people about their life in an informal way. So that's what we're going to hear this month from On The Sofa at Magnify. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to the sofa, the Reverend Malcolm Street. Thank you for joining us today, Malcolm. Either that or I've had too much dinner. Now you're quite a big deal around here, Malcolm, or Father Malcolm, as you're affectionately known by lots of our parishioners, especially our local primary school children. But not everyone might know you, and some of our listeners at home might not know you. So before I ask you some questions about peace, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I'm 61. Uh, I've been ordained uh, 34 years. Uh, prior to that, I worked for British Rail uh, with the ambition of going into rail management and running the largest train set in the world. <laughs> uh, but God got in, got in the way, as is always the, uh, the case on these sorts of things. And uh, so after sort of, I suppose it were three years of being nagged quite clearly by God that uh, he was calling me to the priesthood, there was this sense, I and mean, I can tell you about the first moment of calling, if you like, Mm-hmm. which was uh, an 8 o'clock communion. Uh, I'd been at a nightclub the night before and uh, I was playing football at 10.30 and there was this hazy religious moment at 8 o'clock communion before going to play football and this sense of God saying to me, Malcolm, I want you to bring uh, my son to the world in word and sacrament. And I remember thinking, hang on a minute, I'm a postman's son, uh, I've got a couple of A-levels, I've not got a degree. Uh, I think you better look elsewhere, God. But I remember going to the back of the church and the Church Times was there and the banner headline in the Church Times was shortage of priests in the north of England. And I remember saying as I was going back to my car to uh, drive off to play the match, uh, well, God, if, uh, if you really want me, I'll go there for you. Uh, but I'd start doing loads of things in church to try and get away from this call. And, uh, but in the end... It just kept coming back and back. And I remember in the October, uh, going to talk to my parish priest about it. He sent me to see the bishop. I saw the bishop in the November 
I went to what was called Ackham in those days uh, in the February and I was at Theological College in the August, so that's quite quick. Those of you that will know the process will know that that's actually unusually quick to have gone from first saying something about it to the wider church and being in college in seven months, basically. So I think God was probably uh, on the ball with that one. Yeah. And um, for people that don't know what you do now, what, what do you do now? Well, yeah, I mean, well, some people would say not a lot, but uh, uh, my, my job now is that I'm uh, Rector of the Frimside Benefits of Churches within the mission area. Um, I see my role primarily now as being a shepherd of the shepherds um, in that I think I bring a level of experience and expertise in working with people and developing them to strengthen those who are ministering and to uh, encourage them and facilitate them and develop them to be the best ministers they possibly can be. And I, I, I base that on the, the basis of the 34 years. I mean, I, it's not all been in parish ministry. Um, I, I've worked with uh, people who have been developing for ministry since uh, 1989. Uh, in 1988, I was appointed incumbent, having only been in a curacy two and, two and a bit years. Uh, and uh, at the time, I was the youngest vicar, I think, in the Church of England, which you can be if you're that young, and for a year you can be, until the next one comes along. But I mean, but I, but I was involved then in the development of people in both lay ministry and ordained ministry. That sort of continued. In 2001, I took a, some time out, of, I did a PGC at Bristol. I wanted to get out of the stockade. I've got this great thing uh, um, Richard Holloway said about it, the trouble with the church is most of the people are stuck in the stockade. And actually the gospel is about getting out of the stockade the stockade being the church, and we need to be out there. And, uh, uh, you know, actually having gone out and worked in education for 16 years, uh, it, it, that was a real blessing, because it makes you see the church differently, and you understand the gospel differently. And uh, it was a great joy when Bishop Mike asked me to throw my hat into the ring to come on and apply for the job as rector here, and, it, and to be involved in developing people in their ministries. So, you I mean, I could talk all night about that 34 years, but that gives you sort of a, an idea. Thank you. Yes, and tonight specifically, I'd like to talk to you about peace. That's our theme for this evening, as Candice has already mentioned. Now, I think many, if not all of us in this room, have probably been fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of a blessing from you. And in those blessings, you'll often talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I was wondering, if you could tell us a bit about where you find that sense of peace in your own life. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think blessing is the most important thing that anybody in ministry does. It's far more important than preaching, far more important than the sacraments. Blessing people is what God does on a daily basis. And often people don't realise that. And I think if priests can be a vehicle, uh, ministers can be a vehicle... And anybody can be a vehicle of blessing. It was interesting today, walking into one of the evangelical churches in our community who offered us tea and, uh, and coffee after the, the uh, remembrance service at Whitehills Common. Uh, one of the parishioners greeted me and said, bless you. And I, I, you know, I love that, that sense of blessing. I mean, I think other faiths actually are much better at blessing themselves. But I think blessing is a, a really uh, important part of enabling God's peace because at the end of the day 
God's peace is about spiritual calm and spiritual wholeness. And we can get that peace through blessing. We can also get it from sacred places. Um, Joe, that's my wife, for those of you that don't know that. Uh, Joe did some amazing work when she was uh, uh, training uh, for lay ministry on thin space. And uh, that sort of tied in very much with some work I'd done uh, when, uh, at Westminster in Oxford when uh, I was doing some work on sacred space. And that sense that actually there are thin spaces, there are sacred spaces where we encounter God. And they, they don't have to necessarily be holy places. They can, be, uh, they can be anywhere, but it's in that moment that we find that spiritual oneness and that spiritual calm. Let me give you some examples. I know that Jo, for example, uh, her great thin space, her great sacred space, are the steps which lead to the beach in Denia, in Las Marinas, where we go on holiday each year, and she gets up really early while I'm still sleeping, and, uh, and just sits and, and encounters God through that thin space. I remember as a, a, a teenager, and I, I, you know, it's only now I can articulate this, uh, there was a hill near where my parents lived, and I would just go and sit there and engage with creation on a sunny day, on a starry night. And, and, and that was actually some sort of thin space. And there are many others. I mean, two that stand out for me where I've found that inner peace in that sacred moment. Uh, are one is at Allenmouth in the northeast of England. There's a Franciscan friary there. It's the northern uh, provincial house. And the Riridos is the most spectacular Riridos you could ever wish to encounter. It's a glass window which looks out over the North Sea. So as you're involved in the office, as you're involved in the Eucharist, you look out over God's creation in a very powerful way. Uh, no saintly images, just the, the mark of God's creation. And the other place is a place called Abbey Boucan in Brittany, which I think is uh, heaven on earth. It is that encounter. If you're ever in Brittany, go to Abbey Boucan and you will meet God. And it, it, it basically is this Carmelite chapel, uh, Abbey, which is in the middle of a forest. And when you park up there, you've got no idea where you're going. There's nothing grand about it. You walk through this wooded sort of avenue uh, that twists round. And then this very simple Abbey church uh, appears before you. And you look and you see a little bit of darkness, but with light. <coughs> and as you get drawn towards it, uh, you see into a very simple, plain uh, Abbey church. But on the altar is the sacrament and uh, there are candles and uh, one of the nuns or brothers, because it's a, a mixed community, actually uh, just kneel in prayer. There's a 24-hour watch before the sacrament. And you get drawn into that sacred space. And, you know, an hour, two hours can just fly by just in the sil stillness and the silence. You know, those sorts of moments bring you peace. Hmm. So if blessing and sacred spaces can bring you that peace then that has to be a good thing because it strengthens you for life's journey. Hmm. And do you find that those encounters sustain you in your in your day-to-day -day ministry? Without, without any doubt. I mean, I, I, you know, you, you need those encounters. Uh, you need that time uh, with God in stillness and quiet. I'm not very good. Joe will tell you, I'm terrible. It's the trouble with being action man. It's uh, almost like taking space is counterintuitive to being action man. And, uh, but 
one of the things that we do is we try, we don't always succeed, trying to find some time to reflect in the morning when we both get up and before Joe goes for a swim and I go and start hammering at the desk mm. uh, on my keyboard. But, you know, just finding that stillness and that oneness with God. But often it's places for me mm. uh, where I escape from where I am to be energised in God's spirit through God's peace to come back and be, uh, to live out that call to bring his son to the world in word and sacrament. And I would add to that now, blessing. Hmm. Great. I'm, I'm going to call you back to a conversation that you and I had mm. a few weeks back. Um, and we were talking about discernment and working out what God's will is, is for our lives. And I was asking you about some of the things that you discern in your own life when you're trying to work out what God's will is. And you spoke of, of having a, a sort of deep sense of peace when you were pursuing your call and, and following your call, and that was one of the things that led you towards it. Can yeah. you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I, that yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, yeah, I think, you, well, it was in the context of discerning whether, whether what you were doing was, was right for, mm. uh, and whether your call was God-centred and whether the priesthood was right or whether something else was right. And I think it is about that when you, when you answer God's call, and you begin to live that call out, and uh, you feel an inner peace uh, that, uh, that, that, that is caught up in a whole host of other emotions as well, like excitement and joy and frustration and fear. But, but, but at the end of the day, as you reflect on what you do, you have that inner peace. And, you know, uh, for me as a, a, as a, as a priest, uh, I feel that inner peace at the most uh, incredible moments, really. Um, you, the, because modern priesthood is about management and leadership and all that sort of stuff that uh, wasn't written down in the uh, in the ordinal, but uh, but but there are those moments, and I, you know, just an example from this week. It, what a wonderful privilege to go along and pray some prayers with a, a person who was dying, mm. and to be able to just be there and impart on them God's blessing as they make the next step in their journey. I mean, you just feel that wonderful peace then, and you know, you know, you know that that's right. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're dealing with some of the politics, you think sometimes I'm I in the right job. Hmm. But it, it's moments like that, because actually it's not a job, it's a life, isn't it? But, you know, it's moments like that, you know that this is the life that God has called you to be, and that you are, in your weakness... Uh, the vessel by which he bestows his blessing and his love on the vulnerable and the weak. And that just brings you that inner peace, and you know that. And um, you know you know that in many ways. Hmm. Thank you. Third, final, and possibly slightly thorny question of the <laughs> evening. Um, in your ministry, have you often found that you've needed to be a peacemaker? <laughs> I, to be quite frank, you can't be a vicar with not being a peacemaker. Uh, I think it was um, uh, the poet laureate who, uh, in his, uh, uh, um, I'm just trying to, his names escape me for a second. Who was the famous poet laureate? Betjeman. John Betjeman. That's it. Yeah, thank you. Betjeman's poet about blame it on the vicar uh, is a classic because uh, there's that wonderful line about you know he's here he's here to heal our rifts. Mm. And uh, believe me, church folks are uh, just as good at having riffs as anybody because we're <laughs> human. Um, 
Uh, now, I think the thing about being a peacemaker in a church context is that you need to be able to see Christ in everybody you're dealing with. Mm. And, uh, and, and sometimes you have to go into very difficult, divided situations. I remember uh, my second incumbency, um, I went into a parish which was so divided that their PCC meetings often ran on to midnight and people would leave PCC meetings in tears and there would be absolute high dudgeon all over the place. And I remember my spiritual director saying to me, Malcolm, for goodness sake, don't go there. It'll destroy you. Mm. Uh, uh, but I was young and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, I, I, I went and took on the job. But I think the key thing was in trying to reconcile and bring two groups of people who were very clearly divided. They had this a love for their parish, but they were so divided on how they might make the kingdom happen in that place. That the most important thing was to firstly understand them. The second thing was to create opportunities for them to understand each other. Because what they got into was a state of tolerance for the kingdom. And that's why they kept imploding. What they needed to do was understand that what they all brought to the table was going to facilitate and enable the kingdom of God to really bless them. And when they got to that point and uh, realised this, PCC meetings were over by nine o'clock and there was immense development and growth uh, in that parish and immense love. When they began to value their charismatic, renewed side alongside their Catholic side, and saw that those two things actually embraced each other and uh, strengthened each other rather than were uh, things to fear. And, uh, you know, what's really lovely about that parish is it's gone on from that point of division to be, continue to be blessed all these years later. And I think possibly perhaps a, a story to just highlight how they dealt with things. In... Um, the early 90s when the ordination of women was uh, being debated uh, the parish was pretty split on that issue and we had a woman deacon and it was clear to me that uh, we wanted to move forward as a, a community without losing anyone or at least mm. let's be realistic I guess I was thinking to lose the least number and so before we went anywhere I brought the PCC together and uh, we had a meeting where we just focused on how we as a community were going to handle the ordination of women given that we were quite diverse and given that we had a woman on our team. And uh, the way we did this was we started the meeting with prayer because actually if you underpin things <coughs> with prayer uh, and you pray regularly with those you don't always get on with. You actually start loving them. It's quite amazing, really. And, uh, and so we did this. We started our meeting in prayer. And then I placed the Bible on the table. And I said, there's only one rule in the discussion tonight. And that is you can only speak when you're holding the Bible in your hands. And so everybody in that uh, room was able to have their say. And, you know, theologically, we didn't hear anything different. But people were to say that in love and people were listening to each other. And, and Dee and I, Dee was my deacon curate, we went away then and came back having listened to everybody with a, a, a way forward for us as a parish in the light of this. Because the one thing that was going to happen was Dee was going to be ordained priest. I mean, that was the, 
that, 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 that was a given. And what was really amazing about the outcome from that is because we'd listened to each other, because Dee and I had listened and had worked out a strategy that met the needs of the people there, nobody left that church over the ordination of women to the priesthood. Hmm. And today, that church has a woman incumbent, and no one has left that church, only to go to the heavenly kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that was a, you know, this is, got to remember, this was a divided community who were able to work through something as divisive as the ordination of women was at that time, in a way that they were able to remain together as a community in love, committed to enabling the kingdom of God in that part of this world. And understanding is the key. Mm-hmm. Prayer is the key. Mm-hmm. And blessing was the result. Mm-hmm. Malcolm, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been a pleasure, Matt.